Welcome to episode 230 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. And this episode, we're going to go through our recap. Every year we do this, where we take eh, four episodes or something like that and get some clips that people really loved or things that we think were like really important from the, the last year of episodes that we did. Uh, it's also a way for, for Bryn and I to take a few weeks off of the, the busy recording schedule and really just reflect on all the conversations we've had over the last year. Uh, we recorded 50 episodes in the last year, which is pretty crazy. Uh, we're marching our way towards 250, and every year it feels good to just like think back on, on what we've talked about and, and all the awesome people we've had on the show. There's some rad clips in here, and we hope you enjoy them. So we'll just do a quick little intro for each clip and then just play them for you. Very simple. It's a good sampler to get into design details if you haven't listened before or you get caught up if you've stopped listening for a while. <laughs> hey, we can't hey, blame you. I kind of blame you. And of course, you can always just go to uh, spec.fm and check out the whole archive of, of design details. We're, we're hitting our, our three-year run right now, and uh, there's a lot to catch up on, but these recap episodes are a great way to, to dive in and, and get Yeah, this episode taste. comes out on our three-year anniversary. Look, no, look at that. two days before. Close. Five, five days after. Oh, yeah. Look at that. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Sarah. All right, so this first clip comes from our first episode of the year with Alex Cornell. He talked for a while about why he chose to learn video and like writing communication really over prototyping, over code, or things like that. I think it's a really interesting piece because just the concept of choosing which things to learn and prioritize, I thought was really important and valuable. And then right after that, we've got a short clip about his imaginary assistant Stefan that he created, uh, which was a super popular clip that people constantly referenced uh highly recommend hilarious here's alex cornell from episode 181 there's a there's a scientist who describes uh how to conduct your your research and one of the things that he talks about is like you know how you decide what to work on and like what you want to focus on and the thing he says is like whatever you're doing like you should be trying to be as close to the boundary of your own ability at all times, right? So that you're always pushing it, inching it forward. And of course, obviously, if you go over, you won't learn anything because you don't know what you're doing. Like the code you guys were looking at earlier, you know, I don't know anything about that. My so, terrible code? Yeah, cool, Yeah, thanks. yeah, exactly. It thanks was for really saying that. Bad. Really appreciate that. <laughs> Brian's like, you idiot, you need to return a function. What's wrong with <laughs> idiot. you? Idiot. I should have taken a picture. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like that that would be beyond my ability and it would there'd be no point in me messing around on that screen right now because I wouldn't learn anything. It's too far beyond. And same thing would go if I like had to do something that was too easy, I wouldn't learn anything. But, being right at that edge is uh, is a is the ideal state to be in, and so I don't think it's unsettling in that as long as you're there and you're pushing yourself forward, then that's growth, right? And you're learning, and that's good. So, so you feel like you are pushing yourself. Yeah. Forward. What are the things that you feel are being pushed or expanded upon right now? I think that I've gotten a lot better um, at communicating uh, in different situations. So like, I don't mean speaking and having conversation, but like moving ideas around, uh, between people, between, you know, like large groups of people, small groups of people and where my design craft has largely stayed the same. Like I don't feel any better today at, uh, you know, picking a color or moving a rectangle to a different corner of the screen than I did, uh, two years ago. Right. Like I feel it's the same. 
but my ability... You got pretty good at that a whole co- rectangle moving. Yeah, you're like, I'm, I, I feel better rectangle than Rectangle expert Alex <laughs> Corner. Yeah, pretty good at cor- re- turning a corner into a you know, rounded corner. You know, I know a lot about uh, circles and that kind of thing. Etc. Yeah, well, like, eventually I, I sort of Just felt, general radii really <laughs> does the thing. Yeah. I think you, I mean, I'm sure you guys have experienced this too. Like over time, it used to be, I felt like the stuff that I was learning and getting good at was like... Uh, a lot of really heavily visual stuff, you know, like what's a cool font, you know, and like, oh, this guy knows a lot of cool fonts and what's a cool, cool font guy. Yeah. It's a good, good at layout, you know, really good at color and like those things. And maybe it's a function of where I work, but like that, that isn't something that I think about very much anymore. You know, it's more about often convincing people why the rectangle is where it is, you know, as opposed to like why the rectangle is a rectangle and not a triangle or something like that. Is there even a rectangle at all? Not, I mean, not on my screen. Everything is a, is all circles. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned different communication styles beyond just talking. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? I think I mean telepathy. Uh, yeah, that, but that, that that is actually what I f- I feel um, that I can that I actually can see changing in my own style of working. You know, and and, and I, I think getting better, but you know, who knows? Uh, and I mean, using different things like whether it's writing, which is often a really powerful tool, right? Uh, I use video a lot to communicate ideas. It's a very, uh, it's, a, I feel like video is almost, I mean, you, you were just saying like you pick video instead of photo cause, uh, not as many people are doing it. And it's a competitive thing, man. <laughs> yeah. Everything is competitive. Yeah. I mean, I'm finding that if you just put, if you have a message that you want to communicate and you just put that message in video when everybody else is putting it in words, yeah, totally. it's, it's like a, uh, it's almost like you feel like you're cheating. You know? Yes. It's, it's for real. Like a cheat code. Like when yeah. I put something on YouTube, I was like, I've literally just published like a blog post yeah. but with my mouth. <laughs> it was not that hard. Have you guys, have you ever filmed the podcast? You used to, We, right? you we used, to, used to live stream it on yeah. Periscope. Okay. Like way back in the day. We had this like crazy audio rig to stream it from the microphones to, to the, Periscope. Yeah. Remember that crazy startup? Oh, that was garbage. <laughs> Wait, so have you ever considered just filming, like, uh, you know, filming this now? No. no. Yeah. No, I mean, we it loses. Uh, so... If when we were people, when people know they're on mic, uh, yeah. it usually changes the way they talk. They sure. might present themselves in a different way, yeah. curate what they say, yeah. and you double that one when, when, when you're well, on video. It was worse time. when it was live streaming. Because <laughs> right? now you're aware of right, the right, way right. you're sitting, the way right. your face is moving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like right now I can sit like an idiot and no right. one knows. Right? <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, put your shirt back. <laughs> <laughs> I think the last time we live streamed was with Kevin Rose, and yeah. because he knew we couldn't edit it, he was very oh. cautious about what he said. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because it was live. It was already sure, out sure. there. I got, you. I got um, you. Even if it was only for a day. I got you. So, well, I guess, yeah. Point being, uh, video is a powerful tool for that. But I think they're also, uh, even in how you construct the narrative around what you're saying is is what I've started to experiment with now in terms of like, okay, a lot of people make PowerPoint or keynote presentations at work. That's like, a, you know, it's a big company thing. And I found that even just the way that you structure the narrative and like what you, how much you put on each slide, all that kind of stuff can have an amazing impact on how well it lands in people's minds or doesn't, you know? And I think I've just enjoyed experimenting with those different things. And I'm finding that like, as I figure out what works, you know, I'm, I'm learned, definitely learning as I go. So what about prototyping? Uh, in terms of like l- learning and evolving. And yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, it used to be, uh, you go to a meeting and you might show a static mock, then oh, yeah. the wave of prototyping oh, yeah. tools. And now you have a much richer way of of yeah. telling a story. And I feel like that's maybe a step before video. Uh, like yeah. a video is even uh, 
a higher level than that. Yeah, man, it's so crazy because uh, only if you're not using Principle, which just records to video. So <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> straight I, away. video, video being like I'm videotaping you using a prototype of an app to sell a story, so we can build that thing. Yeah. I just assume Facebook is doing that all the time. Well, I think I mean I remember before before Facebook, I would make a prototype in air quotes with after effects right like i'd take out of photoshop because back then i didn't have sketch yet i would take out of photoshop put it in after effects and then like make a, a animation of this thing and i'd be like right like you click that and i'd like animate a little circle mouse yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. and then i remember when I, I used to animate them in photoshop with that timeline oh, oh jesus man, oh, man. Monster. yeah Woo. i mean that's i would animate html emails <laughs> in photoshop stop, <laughs> stop. That's crazy, right? Like yeah. That's, and then when the day that you saw, I'm assuming, the day that you saw a prototyping tool that can do a lot of that for you. I mean, I remember- Dude, Pixate? Mm, I was Pixate, on that Pixate yeah. grind. I mean, even, I, you know, I remember uh, some of the people I used to work with would, would use Keynote early on mm-hmm. even to just yeah, animate Yeah, Magic Move, things. dude. Magic Move, yeah. Magic Move was like the first crazy prototype I saw. That was Gabriel yeah. Valdivia. Oh, really? Yeah, he, he did a prototype for Automatic that I saw, and that was crazy. I Holy le- shit, it was so good. I only learned about Magic Move like a month ago, and I've been using Keynote forever, but I just never Just the fact that it was all yeah. Keynote, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like, it's crazy what people can do, you know? Um, but yeah, the first time I saw a real prototyping tool and saw like that being the way or, you know, like the default way of communicating a, a flow or an idea. I mean, I was, I, I thought back to every meeting I ever had before that where I was trying to explain, no, 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 like it would move from the right. Right, like, right. right. You know, imagine it would come in from the right and then you could just tell like nobody would know. And then now you can just put it in somebody's hand and they can use it and and often, if you don't tell them it's a prototype, they might just think it's real, you know. Uh, and I, I mean, I think at this point, the the benefits of prototyping are well well known. But yeah, when do you go from that to video? I think that uh, you don't. You go to code, dog. Come yeah, on. yeah, exactly. And I go to code because this uh, is the problem with <laughs> prototypes. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, gosh, I, there's still there's definitely still there's that gap, right? You know, and I, I've always wondered like who's gonna who's gonna if there's a gap between engineering code and designers prototyping, it's like one of us needs to go the extra mile. And often designers, you know, will like you guys were just in code a second ago. So like, you know, you're getting closer this way. And I have never, I made a decision a long, long time ago to not learn that. And I, every day I question like, well, Oh, design no, 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 don't, I don't no, want to no, talk no, no, about no. it. I want to talk about that. <laughs> development you, tools actually, are so good compared to design yeah. tools. Design tools suck yeah. compared to development tools. Yeah, well, yeah. They, they fucking do. Uh, it's They're newer, I yeah. would say. Let's be careful. There are good design tools. They're just newer. newer. No, I, I work on design tools, I think. Like, I'm aware of design tools and how they are, but comparatively, man, there are some rich fucking experiences for development. Yeah, yeah. But I'm curious, yeah. like you, the the fact that you said I made an intentional decision to yeah. not learn that is yeah. uh, not something you hear too often. Yeah, I just remember um, my friend Mark uh, was a a good coder, and I remember this was maybe 2008, and he was. I asked him, I was like, "Hey, like you know, I, I want to get into this. I want to make an update to my own website. You know, what should I learn?" And he was like, "Well, you should start with HTML, CSS, all that." Mm-hmm. And at that time, all I knew how to do was music and and some things in Photoshop, but I didn't really know anything else. You know, I didn't know After Effects. I didn't know um, really anything else. And I remember looking at like all I would have to learn, which I mean, you guys know, like it's not actually that intimidating, but the t- at the time 
I decided I'd rather learn how to, at that time, edit uh, movies, you know, like use Premiere instead. And I'd rather learn After Effects instead. It, using After Effects sounds much more intimidating to me than HTML and CSS. Yeah, I mean, I think now... I, and you get I, those like whip things. It, what are those called? The, the quick, quick Oh whip. my yeah. God. It's I love crazy. the whip. It's, a, uh, it's such a it's weird little It's just a spiral thing. icon, but you like yeah. pull it from one property to another and yeah. it like follows it kind of, but not really. Right. It, it looks script like, it uh, sometimes. Did you ever play Worms? You know that game? Oh yeah. And you know the, the Ninja Rope? Nope. What? The, the, I don't the, remember that at all. The, I was like 10, okay. dude. The, the worms had a ninja rope where they'd shoot a little rope and then they could swing. And it looks just like the pick whip. <laughs> Every time I use it, I'm like, worms. I think back to worms, yeah. So do you regret? No, I don't. Because uh, I, I still uh, believe, and I did at the time, and I still do, that you know, I, as a designer, could be more valuable uh, in, a, in a team if I knew how to do these things that nobody else on the team knew how to do, you know, like in, in that, in that sense, uh, it was video, you know, and like, cause at our startup, we had plenty of engineers, like we didn't need anybody else to know how to code, you know, and certainly not somebody who was starting from zero. Right. Uh, and whereas like somebody, even if they're starting from zero, that's learning after effects and can start making marketing videos or something. It's like, that was actually useful, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and has especially to start to be especially to a startup, especially back then. Like now, yeah. I think like that uh, the it's the become value, commoditized a it's little been bit. Commoditized, yeah. yeah. But imagine like 2010, 11, You know, mm-hmm. if you had a if you had a cool video that was actually it was really really good and and mm-hmm. and could get you on a tech blog, which was also meant something back yeah. then too. You know, and I think like <laughs> yeah. when when they weren't publishing you know, literally hundreds of articles a day. It was like, mm-hmm. if you made it onto a tech blog, it was a big deal. And I, and video was a way to do that. So I think I don't regret it. Uh, there are times when I'm like, man, it would be more helpful if I, if I knew more about it than I did. But I think luckily the design tools, enough of them are structured in a way that you think at least logically in a similar way. And that's been, that's been helpful enough. You know, There's a really interesting dichotomy between video and and like learning code because yeah. you're choosing to kind of prioritize communicating to users over communicating to developers, right? Like that's really the most meaningful piece of code yeah. for most developers or most designers, unless they go very deep is right. that really all they're learning is principles to communicate with engineers yeah. versus communicating with users through video, whatever, like, as you mentioned, like yeah. your goals with that were to communicate with users. Right. Yeah. Which forces you to speak in a way that's uh, uniquely uh, simple and mm-hmm. clear and super uh, hard, it, super hard. You know, <laughs> like it's, it's actually really, really difficult to boil an idea down into, a, into a way that can be communicated widely like mm-hmm. that, you know? And so, yeah, learning how to do that is, is, a, is something that's good. It's good to have somebody that at least knows something about that on the team, you know, rather than if I knew how to make a style sheet. Yeah. You know? Uh, well, at the we, time we must we, we, we know keep how to, skipping over like a million no, yeah. things. You've no, done. we know how to join a startup. What? How did you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you totally. have a book coming out? Uh, well, so I, it's good good time because we were talking about the blog. Uh, one of the things, like you mentioned, uh, you could write anyone at that time mm-hmm. and say, "Hey, I write for this blog. You know, can you? Um, I want to do a thing on you. You know, can do you want to be interviewed?" And everyone would say yes because it was like a you know it's a popular design blog. And one thing I did, I made an article where I asked 25 people, people that were well-known to me at the time, you know, it's like Koi, you mentioned Koi and uh, Eric Speakerman and a few others. Um, and the, the question was very simple, just like, give me a few sentences on how you get over creative block. And they all did. We made that like a super post. And it was uh, very popular. And again, like 
relatively at the time, you know, it was, it was, it did well because like, you know, everybody who had an interest in any one of those people was like, Oh, this is, this is a cool thing. Uh, and then they, uh, they being the publisher saw that post and were like, Hey, uh, you know, we think that could be turned into a book. Uh, would you be interested in, in doing that? And I was like, yeah, totally awesome. I'm in. And they're like, great. So write up a proposal. And I was like, wait, what? I thought, I thought you, you just proposed me. <laughs> you can't, proposed to me. Like, what you are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, what's a proposal? And they're like, oh, it's just like this long super document that you have to have, uh, it, which actually ended up not being that crazy. Um, and I did that. And then, uh, what they wanted was they're like, cool. So you had 25 people before we think it'd be better with a hundred. And if everybody wrote more and I was like, what? And so I have, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I, I reached out to thousands of people and cause they wanted people, they're like, not just designers, you know, it's like design's cool, but like we want actors, we want musicians, we want chefs, we want writers, we want everybody. Um, and that was hard. Cause I was like, I did like, you know, I, before I just reached out to the people that I sort of knew of, you know, like who was the person you were most surprised to get? Uh, Eric Speakerman wrote the foreword. That mm-hmm. was very surprising. That's pretty dope. He, uh, before he accepted, he asked if I would come to his house in SF mm-hmm. and talk about it. And uh, he's as, you know, uh, impressive and intimidating in person as you would expect. I was very surprised about that. I had also- He lives um, in like Daly City or something, right? His place was in North Beach, the one that, okay. that I went to. But um, he had, the, the one that I, I didn't get, but was so close, was uh, Wes Anderson. So I was like, you know, that'd be cool, right? Like Wes Anderson's awesome. Uh And I had this thing at the time, uh, this is like a bad thing to say in, in public, but I will. Cool. Thanks for saying it at the end here. Um, I had a part of what I would do when I was trying to reach out to, um, like really famous people was no one would write me back. Right. Like I'd write their assistant. No one would write me back. I was like, well, maybe if, if my assistant writes their assistant, they like communicate in this like assistant <laughs> communication <laughs> fashion. Amazing. You know? So I made this guy, uh, Stefan, <laughs> you can email him. Stefan at Alex Cornell still, still exists. <laughs> and uh, he'd, he'd say like, you know, Hey, uh, Mr. Cornell would very much like to speak to uh, oh Mr. Jackson. God. And, and it would be great if the two could connect uh, at the following, one of the following dates and like in assistant speak, you know, and then their assistant would write back and be like, that's terrific. You know, like, and the reason I had this in the first place was actually previous because my friend had a real assistant and he'd be like, <laughs> hey man, do you want to go to lunch tomorrow? And I'd say, yes, that sounds great. And then I get an email from his assistant and say like, would you like to join him? I'm like, dude, come on. <laughs> yeah, like, what, what the are fuck? you doing? So then I made the fake assistant to write his real assistant back and just be like, <laughs> it's just back and forth a bunch as a joke. But then I realized I could use it for this. And, uh, and it, it worked like it, it was the weirdest thing ever. Like I, I would get reservation. I would call as myself to a uh, spruce in SF very hard sometimes to get a reservation. I'd call as Alex, no reservations tonight. Sorry. Mr. Cornell would like very much to come to your restaurant this evening at six o'clock. Uh, it's hard, but yes, we can get you in at six thirty. How's that sound? No joke. It like puts people in a different mindset, you know, cause like, why would anyone create a fake assistant, right? Like that's not a reality that anyone <laughs> is expecting. So anyway, the Wes Anderson one went back and forth a bunch and eventually just uh, died, you know, like a, a really anticlimactic death. But that one was classic, very close. Classic Wes Anderson. Uh, the next clip comes from episode 213 with Will Pang. Uh, he is uh, currently a founder of a startup. He's a designer. In a past life, he was a venture capitalist. Uh, and I picked this clip because we asked him what were things that surprised him about about moving from a design role from working at startups to becoming a venture capitalist and then eventually becoming a founder himself. 
I think Will Will's a smart guy, and he he provides some some good insight on on what was surprising and and why it was surprising. So here's uh, Will from episode 213. Has so you've been working on this for uh, almost nine months at this point, or almost eight months. Uh, anything been surprising to you that you didn't expect when you started working in a personal finance space? Yeah, I think it's not only the personal finance space, but um, we didn't cover my background, but... Um, oh, we'll get I, there. I, before this, was a venture capitalist. Yeah. Um, I managed a seed fund called Red Swan, um, so doing seed investments. And before that, I was a designer working at a few startups. And so there have been a lot of things that have... I think I underestimated how many unglamorous things there were about starting a company uh, that you need to make sure that you cover. So all of them? (laughs) All of them. Um, I think um, I underestimated how how many details go into starting a product and building that foundation. Uh, So I think it gave me a lot of empathy that I didn't have when I wasn't, when I was a VC. Oh no. Um, (laughs) So this is a note to all VCs who are maybe listening to this podcast <laughs> is it's harder than it looks. Yeah, um, that's for sure. In terms of personal finance, I think we always knew that personal finance is complex. People's money is messy. People's mo- and, and, and uh, there's not a one size fits all solution. But I think there are ways that we continue to be surprised by how messy people's money is. And so that's actually guided a lot of our product insights. Um, What hasn't surprised us, people always say, you should launch sooner. Mm -hmm. And that was true. Um, Uh Uh-huh. I don't we followed think... that to a T. We were like, <laughs> we're so sick of long deadlines. So we launched it in like three weeks. And like, <laughs> it was a shit show at first. And it nice. was the worst. I think you're the first founders I've met who uh, didn't say they launched too late. No, we were just like, fuck it. <laughs> we're like, we're just going to launch the first version we can. It yeah. was, whew. You learn so much. It's every like startup a, I've been at has been like a year and a half before yeah. launch, and it just killed me. Or not. Or yeah. not. It's like so tough for company morale, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you're a year and a half in. You launched yet? Like, it's, it's, it just like, it, it wears on you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's dangers both ways. Like, there's probably not one right answer, and there's certainly different types of startups that need different, I guess, like incubation periods to be ready. Yeah. And mm-hmm. for us, I think... Like, like, we don't have to deal with finances. Yeah, yeah, we don't have to deal with finance. Like if we have a bug, maybe we lose your message, but we're not losing your dollar, right. which is like oh, multiple orders of magnitude more important. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. And I can see the trade-offs. Like we, if you launch too early with something that's too bad maybe you end up with like a leaky bucket problem like yeah you'll get people to come check it out but yeah. then it's so bad they never return right or you wait so you long have, that like, you have to rebuild trust from zero which is like way harder than like having them come in with some expectation that they can trust you yeah yeah, yeah i i think um i st- i still agree i still think that like everybody should try to launch as soon as possible obviously within certain constraints mm-hmm. like it needs to work um the but I think there's like, I don't know if you guys felt the same way. When when you when we launched, it felt like there was this, it's like when you're at the optometrist and they do like one or two and they like switch the lens. And it felt like the lens through which we saw 
how to build our product and like what things we should prioritize was flipped hmm. and things that we thought were important were suddenly not mm-hmm. and vice versa and that's like invaluable oh we're like spinning those things <laughs> 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 and that's what it sounds like and so like i think the concern that you i think you maybe hinted at was like oh maybe somebody might stop using the product or i i think that's a non-issue um number one like there are a lot of people in the world but number two i think like the way that at least we approach product development is through this sort of like um you guys might have heard of this concept like the law of diffusion of innovation uh Um, no you probably uh, yeah that one you probably have seen the graph more than heard the name which is like that bell curve of types of users that you build for and you should go for first and the first people who use it are those like friends and family who will like run through mud and do a tough mutter for you um just because they care about you yeah and those people will probably not hopefully not churn um and so like you can afford to make mistakes with them they have investment beyond the product right right and so um i think maybe this is something that um you have to have um been through launches before to really believe because mm-hmm. i think there's so much startup advice out there and design advice out there that you read it and it's like they've become like mantras you're like oh ship early ship fast you haven't been if you're not embarrassed about what you're shipping mm-hmm. then it's too late yeah like you read those things you're like yeah, yeah yeah like i feel good about myself now but you don't actually do anything about it mm-hmm. and it's like not it's like or you go like watch a, a talk and they have some great advice but sometimes i'll re-watch talks that i thought were really good and like i'll notice how i react differently to things that they say because now i have different experience now that you're in the weeds right i mean there a lot of those things are platitudes right like right you don't have to demonstrate it when you're talking about it yeah do as i say not as i do and that's way easier right yeah i don't know i i think Bryn is definitely like anti platitude brian sends me shit all the time like no no i do not send you shit all the (laughs) time time. he tweets it all the time i do not pieces left and right literally do not what is this shit is it like uh motivational posters no 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 uh i Uh uh-huh he he mails me motivational posters (laughs) it's like from your secret admirer it's like brian i know it's you (laughs) brian i saw this thing and it's it's a cat and it says hang in there and like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no, not motivational posters. Um, I like reading. I was definitely like, exaggerating, but indie startup or something. It's like this guy that interviews founders. Okay. And they're just interviews. And I think some of the founders are pretty good at calling out like, you know, this is my experience. Yeah. Uh, this only applies to my specific situation, but here's how I did things. Yeah. Uh, I enjoy reading that and whether or not you apply anything that you learned there. It's, um, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess you could see it as a waste of time or like non-relevant but i i do find it interesting to read other people's experiences and then yeah it's, it's interesting maybe there's like, something to learn like I don't know. you have to question why pe- why people are writing these things or why people are up there saying these things that yeah in what's most, their motivation in many cases it's personal marketing yeah mm-hmm. like what i want to hear from the people who aren't compelled to put in the effort to s- spend their weekend putting themselves out there writing a medium post like writing yeah. a medium post like and so i think that's an inherent bias of of uh the communication platforms that we have as soon as there's a generalization too like then it's like well this yeah advice some count. like really snazzy headline that like designers should x yeah exactly exactly um, all founders are x exactly 
It makes me hate those words. Like <laughs> designers. I'm not that kind of designer. <laughs> no, I don't want to be that. This next clip comes from episode 188 with Kathy Zhang talking about recruiting and what senior means. We get asked a lot what senior or junior means, or it comes up in discussion a lot. And really, it's a hard discussion. But I think Kathy does a good job of kind of succinctly like talking about what it means for her and how you build a team as a first designer, which is a super hard problem. And I'm sure it's one that a lot of people will face or have faced from one side or the other. So here's Kathy Zhang, episode 188. Can we talk about recruiting as a first designer for yeah. a minute? I yeah. think we've all been in that position. And oh my gosh. I, I think to, to a lot of people listening, especially like junior people or people trying to get into the industry, it sounds yeah. counterintuitive because there's so many people who want to get in. Yeah. What what makes it so hard? <sighs> I think. <laughs> oh, like, it, like there I seems so like many. a dearth of designers, mm-hmm, right? And yeah. How, what's the hard part? Uh, uh, misaligned expectations, I think. It's like. <sighs> yeah, I think for me now, I definitely get why it's so hard when i was in that position at the time um first of all we wanted to hire somebody better than me um mm-hmm. somebody who was able to take the lead and uh delegate and uh you know drive those discussions about deeper problems and be able to see the product from a higher level so a senior product mm-hmm. kind of role yeah and me as a uh, so early in my career i didn't even know what senior meant. Yeah. Um, so that's one what do, thing. What does senior mean? <laughs> yeah, what does senior mean? And I don't think anybody at our company really knew. We uh-huh. knew we wanted somebody who was more experienced than me and we could only really measure that in terms of years or the products they've worked on. Um, but, you know, you selling it like that to somebody who is actually very experienced and can have their pick of the teams they work on mm-hmm. and the company they work at or be able to start their own business, it's not a very sexy proposition. Mm -hmm. Um, Once in a while, we'll get some designers who come through and they know what Patreon is trying to achieve and they, um, they, it strikes a chord with them Mm -hmm. and on their own, they wish to work at such a company. And those are the very lucky instances. But for the most part, it's a lot of cold outreach and uh, getting ignored. Some people, um uh Daniel Walgen I re- <laughs> I reached out to Daniel Walgen while I was at Patreon cuz I really uh, I really admired his work and he was one of the people I followed right when I started he actually uh had coffee with me mm-hmm. and it's it's meetings like that that made me feel like some people are really willing to spend the time to talk and chat and mm-hmm. maybe they maybe Daniel didn't know what I was trying to do but I, oh, got, I, I tried to hire him too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I got a lot of value out of that meeting and I really respect him for taking the time to have coffee with me who, you know, I was, I didn't, I had no idea what I was doing. And um, I basically set up a bunch of meetings with people to critique my work. And that was how I met more designers at first and tried to, um, in, in, uh, to, to expand my network and hope that somebody wants to work at this company. Because I think that, through that year of trying to recruit somebody, it was clear that we weren't doing the right thing to mm-hmm. sell, the to propose to somebody really senior to come work there. Um, and now Patreon, I think their team has grown to four designers. So uh, 
they've come a at long some way. Point they figured it out. <laughs> yeah, it all kind of just picked up all at once because a um, couple months before I left, we hired another product designer, and right after I left, there were two more that came in, and they were also more experienced designers. So I don't know what hmm. switched, but I think the designers that came in, all of them really subscribed to what Patreon was trying to do. And it was less so the opportunity, like, you know, at any shallow level, it was, I think that I want to work on this mission no matter what, you know, I'll mm -hmm. take a pay cut, I'll take the the longer hours, whatever it is, the smaller team, the more stress, I want to work on this mission. And the whole time, that's probably the type of people we were looking for, because we knew we couldn't pay as well for for yeah. a while and uh, the team would be small they they would have a lot of work to do but you know I'm not sure how I would redo things today I think if I were in that position again um, I certainly know better now so I would know what that designer would have cut out in front of them and be able to be a lot more transparent about what the challenges were and what what their uh, what the biggest things they had to solve were going to be it's uncanny how similar our paths were. Like uh, yeah. I, I, first of all, I think we both ended up in San Francisco around the same time. Mm. And then I was, I guess, like the, an early designer at Buffer. And I worked on hiring for a year and a half and <laughs> had no luck. And then shortly before I left, they hired a second designer. And then right after I left, they hired like two or three more designers. Like the the stepping stones are exactly the same. And everything you said after, I'm like the same. Like, yeah, I don't know exactly what I would have done differently in retrospect. But now going forward, like I know how to articulate things better. Well, that's I know how to talk about problems and case because Patreon has a clear like mission driven kind of ethos, whereas Buffer is, I think, more <laughs> surface level. No, I think I think Buffer was really attractive to people for the internal mission. It's like, how can we create a company that's unlike any company that's ever been okay. created, right? That's fair. And I think people were really attracted to that experiment and the like transparency. Building. Yeah, extreme transparency. It was really and, weird when I like met you and I knew how much you made. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, everyone knows how much everyone makes. The the world knows. Uh, which is, I don't know if that ended up working in my favor or not. Um, <laughs> but but it's a thing. But anyway, so it's slightly different angle, but it's like people were really attracted to that. Yeah, that makes sense. Cultural mission. This next clip comes from episode 218 with Owen Williams. We caught him right as he was transitioning to working full-time on his own project, uh, Charge. Uh, and we talk about transitioning from a side project into working on on a thing full-time and and finding the confidence to, to make such a dramatic move. Uh, really enjoyed our, our chat with Owen and uh, catching him right at this perfect moment of transition. Uh, we hope you enjoyed as well. With the overlap thing, at least I got like validation that I can do it. Uh, I realized the skills I had and I realized how I could use them. Well, I think that's a really common problem in our industries. Right. People having side projects and not knowing when's the right time to do it full time. Yeah, or even realizing it can be full time. Yeah, so like this idea of validating it. Right. Simultaneously, like, 
Yeah, was there a tipping point for you that? What's interesting is like, okay, this is full. Was it a financial projection or or more of a, a <laughs> full time? Is not the point either, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Full time is like a word you use for careers things. Yeah, yeah. So I guess when I say full time, it's more about not being full time. Yeah, you know. Uh, yeah. it was At some point, I realized like, shit, I don't have to work forty hours or like more. Yeah, my full time to... job is sleeping. I yeah, right. Freelance on the side. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> sleeping, eating, watching TV. It's like a lifestyle choice, I think, and. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole other thing where I started a newsletter, which we haven't even yeah, got yeah, into. We'll get, we'll, we'll get to that. Um, but all of those things, I think, added up to being, I think it was just like a self-confidence thing. I think you have to get over this bar where you're like, oh, my God, you don't have to get paid to live. Like, you don't need a consistent paycheck to get by. If you're smart, if you save, if you, I don't know. I'm sure you've talked to many freelancers, but for me, it was such a mental hurdle. I'd always had a paycheck coming in. I've mm. always done that. And I'd never had this position where I had to like fend for myself. I don't know. I <laughs> ha, The confidence part's an interesting one. Like I think, yeah. so when, I don't I guess I won't speak for Bryn, but like when I left my last job at right. Facebook to do this, it was, right. there was a lot of that consideration. It was a little bit scary to be giving up what you're giving up and then, <sighs> Yeah, my no, dentist the, isn't at my office anymore. <laughs> Dude, Damn it. like those things are they, they yeah. hook you in. You have to make lunch yourself. Uh I make lunch for him. There you go. <laughs> There's the secret. Yeah, yeah. I still haven't learned how to make lunch. <laughs> um, that's not a joke. <laughs> I I do Brent make lunch. Literally made right. lunch for me today while I wait Chef on the Chef executive <laughs> officer. There you go. Yeah. Anyways, uh, this yeah. is <laughs> more on that. He's like, tangent, do, you want, he's like, like do you want to go get lunch? What if I make it? Okay, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> like, you piece of shit. I, I didn't actually take a nap. I just laid on the couch on my right with your eyes with your eyes closed. <laughs> oh dear, this is how we work together. It's We're perfect. It works so well. Uh, the confidence thing, though, yeah. I think is interesting. And in... well, it's like this thing where you're trained. I think your whole life to assume that there's like to survive, you need a salary. I don't. Mm. I don't know. I always grew up in a family like my family. My dad works in a factory, right? Like, has he done that for twenty yeah, or so like 30 years? years. Yeah, like yeah, you should yeah, yeah. you should be thankful to have mm-hmm. your salary. And I like I didn't grow up. You go one rich, place and you're there. Like, yeah, right. And you should stick with it. And it was such a complex. It's like, oh wait, you mean some other guy doesn't have to give me money and like I can make my own f- fortunes in a way? It's just such a weird thing to break out of when you're used to that. I think mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's weird to get past <laughs> millennials. But then, but then, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's what I wonder. I like I didn't tell my mom yet. Hi, mom. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it's all right. You have a week. They come yeah, here yeah. and talk into microphones on their podcasts yeah. with their Fox T-shirts and their. But right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they were. <laughs> but like, it's a hard thing to explain. Like, I took I quit a stable job to like find fortunes at random <laughs> on the you know, internet. Yeah, like, wow. I'm gonna tweet and look for work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So but it's your legion. Oh, it's this website where there's like Nazis, but also some really cool friends. Yeah, like, I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Nazis and friends. Oh, the only problem really is, I mean, it's not the number of characters I can write as a writer. It's just that there's Nazis there. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I can block them though. Yes. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> that, that is a service, Nazi block. So the how do you, how confident do you feel today? Like 90%. I don't, I don't know. It, it varies a lot. Um, today I feel great because it's that weird thing I called drinking. Yes, I did have some <laughs> beers before we came on this. You only have water here, which is a bummer because I would have had more liquid courage. Oh. Um, well, it's fine. But I, I would have been down for that as well. 
Okay, well, we found that out too late. But we are 50 minutes into our podcast, <laughs> and oh, <once laughs> the heavy drinking has started. <laughs> well, we'll do this after. Okay, great. Problem solved. Uh, <laughs> love it. But I guess that's. Um, I feel great. Like, what happens when you go public? And I was. I didn't know, I guess. Go public. Oh, my God. When you, uh, when you have your like, personal IPO. Yeah. <laughs> how many... Initial uh, public owning. How Alcoins. Al, yes. yeah. my, my token offering. Yeah. Uh, how, how many Alcoins did al you buy? Coin. I'm worth 12.9 Alcoins. I don't know what that is in claps. <laughs> <laughs> the, the clap to coin ratio yeah. is very uh, confusing. But really good. Like the thing when you announce something like that is you don't know how it's going to go, right? Uh, what I was hoping is when people know that you're available, that it kind of comes out of the woodwork, you know? Like it's one thing going to the market and saying, like, my website says I'm available for freelance, but it also very clearly says I have a job. <laughs> and I've never been weird about that. I've always, if somebody comes to me, I'm like, well, I have a job and I have to balance this. But I think when you say, I'm freelance, a hundred people suddenly realized they wanted to work with you the whole time, but never did because they thought you didn't have time. Uh, Everyone says they're available for freelance. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm available. I like money. It's like standing by an ATM <laughs> and saying, I like money. I'll take that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, here yeah. if you oh, need anything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, really nice. It's been, it's been a weird experience. Uh, I wasn't expecting so much just like support, you know, mm -hmm. people, I don't know. I think people realize it's a big jump and there's a lot of courage it takes. We'll see to do it. And then, yeah, I got a lot of emails and stuff. I have to let my inbox is a nightmare. Um, we'll see if any of it's actually worked. But it's cool because suddenly I think people just suddenly associate with you with being available. I suspect the problem might be that people try to just hire you, mm. right? Because they think, oh, well, that's, that guy's mm. freelance. That's code for... Once looking a, for a new job yeah, like yeah. once a job but that's not necessarily what i'm here for we'll <laughs> but, see but yeah. that being said does he want to install servers at my sheep farm well <laughs> yes there's a lot of sheep <laughs> like don't discount it but i guess it's that's the thing is if you're if you're overlapping it's all well and good but suddenly when you're available it's just a different thing and a lot of companies don't want to hire people who are like overlapping i think that's mm -hmm. a like for ikea i imagine like i don't know but it's a different equation if you're available to go to Sweden and make chatbots. I, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but that yeah. sounds like you just picked two random things and stuck them together. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I can't like, if, you, if you're in uh, 2004 and you're listening to this, technology it might be a bit confusing. Lives. Yes. If you're in 2004, yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, that happens, right? I've seen movies. <laughs> You've seen Lost. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so really good. I'm, I'm just excited, I think. Um, and I realized also, through this whole process that you don't need the perceived salary that you made to do your job mm -hmm. or to live. Sorry. Mm -hmm. You, you can probably live on less and half the money you spend is probably on being at work anyway, going out for drinks, doing whatever. Whereas if you're at home and you're like being conscious, I think that's a different equation as well. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the decision it was very easy at this point. It was like, I don't own a house. I don't have, I don't own kids. <laughs> I don't, I don't possess yeah, any I children. I don't have kids. The only thing I'm responsible for is my cat. Uh, and he'll let me know if there's anything wrong. Yeah, like, I don't have, I'm at this point where I can risk it at least. And the worst that can happen is like, I have to apply for some jobs. Yeah. So it's a good thing. 
This next clip comes from episode 182 with Jenny Johannesson. She's a designer who came to the U.S. to work at Wayno on a visa. She talks a lot about the unique uh, viewpoint of Europeans in giving critique, of just kind of giving it too straight. It can sometimes come off as negative, but sometimes that's helpful too. And also about winning an award and how that can be really helpful in getting a visa if you decide you want to come to the U.S. as a designer. So here's two clips from Jenny Johannesson from episode 182. A really good mentor he was super negative about everything but he, i loved him <laughs> he was bitching about everything i loved him it was amazing and he kind of taught me a lot of things as an intern like i wasn't a really good designer but he always took the time to show me how to make things and he would like hey jenny do you know about this trick in photoshop you can do this i don't know he was really nice <laughs> how did you find him he always bitched about everything. He was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> nice guy. Um, I didn't find him. He was he was a senior designer at the agency when I started there. And the head of art just paired me together with him and said, hey, this is going to be your internship mentor. Every, every time you have a question, just ask him. Do you think that like bitching about everything or negativity influenced you in a way? I don't think so. No. No, it just felt like he was really honest about everything. So do you feel like that rubbed off on you? I Maybe I was already like that. <laughs> Maybe that's why I liked I him. I see, I see. <laughs> you were already at that point. That's maybe why we like each other. High-functioning, sarcastic people are the best people. Yeah, yeah, but uh, the more of those kinds of people I've hung out with, the more like jaded I become, <laughs> like generally cynical of the world. I don't know. I was talking about this on twitter the other day like the more time i spend designing the more jaded i become but what are you but designing think, then hmm? why are you designing them oh he's that designing, makes you so sad he's designing <laughs> payments for facebook it's not that the design what? <laughs> it's not that the design makes me sad i just feel like i feel like my youthful exuberance naivety has worn off like i used to try and be so optimistic about everything um, you're still the most optimistic person I know. Oh, thanks, buddy. It's hilarious. It doesn't feel like it. I you'll you'll learn one day. <laughs> Did you feel like that at all? Like, like design led to that? Is that what you're saying? No. I mean, it seems like you had this sort of affinity for sarcasm or this mentor who is bitchy about everything. Why do you think that is? I don't know. He was still really helpful to me, and it felt like he was always honest about thing, things like. If he was reviewing my designs, he would tell me how it is. That's also kind of part of the Dutch mentality. They will be straightforward about anything. If they hate something, they will tell you. If that your design is terrible, they will tell you. So you have a couple of unique perspectives that I'd love to know. So what is your advice to younger designers who are outside of the U.S. that want to do what you did and come to California and be a part of the design community here? Oh, then I think they should definitely work at agencies who can get awards. Sadly, but that is like the best way to get into the U.S. Okay. Because that is how the visa process works to get mm -hmm. in here. Like you can get in here on other visas, but they are very temporary solutions. Like you can get in here for like a year and then you have to move out again. Yeah. But like if you have awards or you're on a podcast, like Design Details... You can get O1 visa and then you can stay here for a lot longer. All right. So and just, it gives you a lot more options and 
it's sad but true. You have to play the game to get into this country. And it's probably not going to be easier now since... Just because of uh, recent changes in the political climate. Yes. So the first bit of advice you gave was how to get into the U.S. in the first place. But now let's assume some of those people are here. What's your advice now that they're here and they want to become more a part of the community or grow? I think those are two different questions. Okay. To become part of the community or to grow. Let's split it up. Because to become part of the community, it's, I would say it's really easy in a city like San Francisco because there are tons of events everywhere and you can just show up your face everywhere and you will get... It's a lot of work to avoid it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So I think becoming part of the community is pretty easy. And it probably doesn't take a lot of time to invest. But if you want to grow, you have to work pretty hard and you have to learn new tricks and maybe spend some evenings polishing your design to make it perfect. And like that can actually take actually work. Yeah, then you have to actually <laughs> yeah. work and that takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing that you just like accidentally make something amazing and you're like, "Oh, okay, I'm done now. I'm a senior designer and I grew." God damn it, I have to go back <laughs> to the drawing board. Well, I thought I was a pro. But it's just something that takes time and it's not you might not have an aha moment like even though both of you seem to have had it. I didn't. <laughs> I don't know. I don't it's, know just, I it's just a change of mindset. Like it's not aha. Like pixel fitting isn't the aha moment <laughs> to end all. Like, I am now a designer. Well, I can pixel fit forever. I was super curious what your design looked like before that. I mean blurry. Blurry is <laughs> <laughs> the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever wonder why they were blurry? I, I never went. That's in- what a, that's what a rational person would have wondered. I just never went into pixel preview. I didn't know what it was for. So it was always vector lines to me. It was as sharp as it could get. Okay. In sketch. Thanks for being so vulnerable and sharing that, Bryn. Yeah, dog. It's all good. I appreciate that. I mean, <laughs> Is at, it crying? At, at any... Yeah. Deep inside. Sure, <laughs> but I mean, no, I think th- those are the things that like these in retrospect, simple obvious things unknown unknowns no yeah yeah they are unknown for people that are just getting started unknown unknowns are the problem it's important for those kinds of exposures to these ideas or concepts to happen earlier and earlier for more and more people and i think uh that's incredibly important right now once you know that there's a thing to learn you can go do that yeah when you don't know that that thing exists to learn it that's what's like terrifying right like you just you can't make yourself better in that way yeah no, but in a way, you hopefully have something you're interested in or you saw some design and you're like, holy shit, how do you make that? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's what mentorship is good for too, right? Like they can remove all those like very rapidly in many cases. Like they can just... Yeah. Like D- <laughs> Dan Petty teaching me how to like remove a background from a thing. Like he's very good at that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it really helps when there's someone who can tell you what you're doing wrong. Yeah, Totally. Because I remember I wanted to learn how to Photoshop better. So I said that during my internship. But then I got thrown into a Volkswagen project where I had to retouch a car that was shot outdoors in like oh, in God. kind of a forest environment. Uh-huh. And I had to make it look like a studio shot. Oh, God. So I was polishing trees and reflection off of this whole car to make it look like it was shot That's in a insane. studio. Did you do a good job? Yeah. It worked out surprisingly well. Of course she did it. No, but the thing is, like, in the beginning, I was really scared of this. I was like, oh, my God, this is never going to work. This is, like, impossible. 
But then I was like starting to brush things out and I was cutting a piece out there and pasting it somewhere else. And if something didn't look right, like one of the designers who were working there would be like, hey, Jenny, that is super weird. This this uh, like this little bump around the lamp here in the back looks really strange. Can you fix that? And then I kind of know what I was looking at. Like, aha, that's why it looks weird. And then I would like polish that part of it. Like sure. it was a lot of work and I was still like figuring things out. But like the end result was better than I expected it to be because I, I wasn't sure I was actually going to make it. Who's that but the thing is when you're an intern, you're also like, you know that you can fuck up because you're the intern. <laughs> <laughs> so it's okay if you don't yeah. make it. That internship safety net. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the, the person for you now that will call you out and point out your mistakes and really help you? I guess mentor. It's Helly yeah. or Robin. This next clip comes from episode 223 with Jess Carley over Everlane. Uh, and, and we keep uh, the pattern going to talk about hiring. So she, at the moment, was was building up the design team at Everlane. And we dig into the way she thinks about hiring, what she looks for, how to evaluate visuals versus usability. And we really dig into that. I really enjoyed this clip with Jess. And here we go from episode 223. You said you're hiring now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you hire, since it is such a small team mm-hmm. are you looking for designers that build things like code as well? um i'm always open to it um i think f- not a requirement i think it's more everything else is th- so it's super generalist and if you draw the spectrum from like strategy to front-end web development let's say um everything up to front-end web development so it's <laughs> like i want a designer who is great at product thinking right so what does that mean well i want you to be able to like be good at critical thinking work with product managers like figure out the problems you want to solve ask the right questions do the user research when we have time to do it do the wireframes do the visual design nice uh, do the prototyping. Nice aside there <laughs> well because you don't always have time yes, i think it's one yeah. of those things that is still a not a battle, but it's still a discussion. It can be tend to be viewed as unnecessary or a blocker. Or, Everyone thinks they have good enough taste to yeah, avoid it, right? Yeah, I think it's just more like demystifying the idea of research as being this thing that people don't understand and this thing that takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and this thing that blocks other teams. And it's more like, no, I want quick insights just like data analysis. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that you all love, yeah. you know, and rec- and want to do all the time. And it's like, you know, you only need five to eight high level reads on something to get yeah. a good to get good feedback on usability or whatever. Every time we do it, it like yields results. So it's just sort of working it into your process and mm-hmm. hiring more designers so that I can do that mm-hmm. um, instead of me personally just running around trying to do it for every yeah. project. So super generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, our one requirement is like great visual design because uh, we're a super aesthetic brand. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that brands that are very for, like very well designed, you know. Yeah. I think um, it's also it just becomes a very like public conversation throughout mm-hmm. the entire company. So like everybody cares about design. Everybody knows a lot about design, you know. And so one of the things I think that I'm trying to figure out is of the designers I want to hire. Like not everybody is going to have all of those things coming in the door. So is it easier or harder to teach visual design? I, I feel like it's deprioritized <laughs> lately. It's deprioritized? Yeah, like I think generally people come in having um, ideas about like what strong UX is, mm-hmm. but then they just kind of give up on the interfaces yeah. like, visually. So, so it's like not an option yeah. for us. So it's sort of like I can either decide that 
I and, you know, my my designer, Will, who's great, like, I think that if you have enough people who are great visual designers, Mm -hmm. but the problem is we don't have the system yet. So it's like, should we wait until we make the system and then I can rely on the system and user experience? But it's also like I want people to learn those things, too, on the job. So I think visual design, I do think it's harder to teach because... You just have to absorb, and this is my bias as someone who's trained as a designer, right? Mm-hmm. Is like you have to absorb the history and the theory, and like you have to care about kerning, and you have to know what all this stuff is. And if you don't know all this stuff, like I don't know if I can teach that on the fly mm-hmm. when I have to make decisions right now. Versus, and I personally learned UX, product thinking, and everything else on the job. So, like, my bias is like, oh, you can learn that on the job. But I think there's a lot <laughs> of value in the other way around, too. So, yeah. I'm just trying to figure that out as I go. How do you evaluate a designer's visual? skill level so there's a couple ways and i feel this like is- it's way easier than like ux stuff like no one ever gets excited about really great wireframes look how good these wireframes are <laughs> i don't know man i've seen some pretty good wireframes <laughs> in my days i think it's like not about the wireframes though it's about the decision making that went into the wireframes yeah. which is what i think user experience is right so it's like i've thought about these things i've decided mm-hmm. i'm prioritizing x y and z here's why mm-hmm. here's the goals that i'm designing against like all of that to me is the front half of the design process and i think it's harder yeah. But that's it's only harder once you are trained and you can like do visual design in your sleep, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for visual design evaluation, there's a couple of things. I mean, you can look at the portfolio, which should be a good representation of like your skills if you're putting if it's up to date and you're putting yourself out there. Um, we do a design project. So um, we do like a paid design brief where we're like, here's this brief with. Um, I've changed it a couple times. <laughs> Can you give an example of like an old one you don't use? Yeah, anymore? so we actually were designing against the site. So I was like, here, think about this coming soon feature, redesign it, figure out how we can get more engagement, more purchases. Yeah. And then what happened was like we were super biased against the projects. <laughs> we we're like, this is yeah, a terrible idea. You have too much context. Like, they, yeah. like this, they didn't think through these five edge cases. <laughs> this is like very much a disadvantage to these candidates. Yeah. So then I recently transitioned it to um, redesign your least favorite mobile site um so super abstract now we're interested like what they pick why they pick it what was their approach do they do any research do they do any prototypes what is this visual what is the visual design that comes back what's their default basically and then i can learn more about okay this looks like a good fit and i would need to mentor like here here and here or they're really strong here so it's just sort of like putting out the process and then i can review in today's world it seems to me that generally dribble today has become eye candy uh, while sacrificing like any semblance of usability. Right. Um, it's been that almost since the beginning. Yeah. So, uh, no, I think there was more work in progress at the beginning, but I think it was always about eye candy. Nah, I, the I feel like it was more about showing that. things that, that shipped. Now it's about like, mm. here's this hypothetical gorgeous graph with these gradients and animations and like, this kind and of shit I got that, hired. Like, looks nice, but it has nothing to do with actually designing things. Right. Um, so I'm just curious how you do you start from like the visuals and work backwards and be like, visuals, good. Now let's uh, analyze the usability. Definitely not. Shit. Or do you go like yeah. usability yeah. and then they made it look Yeah, usu- usability. Because I want to okay. spend all my effort talking through like, what, like, how does this work? When are we showing this thing? Mm-hmm. Like, what is the logic behind this? Like, why did you make the decision to do it here? Like, place it above the fold, if the fold exists, which everyone <laughs> insists that it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, above the fold, below the fold, um, you know, just like talking through the design process that went on in your head and like explaining that. And then once we align, like, okay, I think those decisions make sense now. 
make this icon smaller, like <laughs> yeah. remove this state. I don't really feel like it needs to be more visible. It's all more about like all the design considerations are I usually pick up on are about consistency, um, hierarchy in terms of what decision does a person need to make when they're looking at this thing. Visibility, can you see it? Uh, you know, <laughs> is it too visible? Like it's all about the user psychology yeah. of looking at this thing and and then it sort of translates that. But it's way more about should this thing exist in the first place? Tell me about the design decisions that went into it. Okay, now we're going to look at visual design. Uh, so you're looking for generalists. You have a high bar. What's been the... <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like one or two areas that people seem to be falling short the most often and advice to candidates if um, you could give it to them. Yeah, I think... How to improve that. You know, I think it might not... It could be us too. It's like, it's not, sure. it's not you, it's us. I sure. think we're trying to figure out what we want and I'm trying to figure out... How this is my first time as a hiring manager leading the entire process too. Like we don't have an HR team. This is the other thing. Like we have a people team, but it's not like we have hiring partners necessarily like some teams do. Sure. And I do personally, I'm working with uh, our HR team, but it's very much on the hiring manager to sort of figure it out. What are the criteria you want to hire for? So I like wrote them out, you know? So it was like visual design, product thinking, communication, yeah. collaboration and flexibility. So like those are my and like how do you evaluate? Can they touch their right? toes? <laughs> no, like how how <laughs> I'm not getting the job. How uh, how good are you at dealing with ambiguity? How good are you at dealing mm. are dealing with trade offs? Like how do you work with product managers and engineers? Yeah. Like when you don't get to do this thing and you don't get to ship perfect design, how do you react to that? Like the, those are the things. <laughs> like those are like the questions I have because that's the reality. Yeah. You know. This next clip comes from episode 185 with our friend Matt Spiel, and we talked a lot about copying people's work. He made a popular t-shirt and sweatshirt design, and some people copied it, and talking about what is good copying, whether you're copying to learn and keeping it to yourself or copying uh, for financial gain, and that's kind of shitty. So here is Matt Spiel uh, in episode 185. But I would just study people's code on their website. You know, I mean, that's essentially how I taught myself web design, like officially was just finding somebody's site that I liked. Keegan Jones was one of those dudes yeah, mm -hmm. and just inspect and source and copy and paste until I figured it out, yeah. you know? So he was, I don't know what he was doing at that point, but I think it was after he'd hacked MySpace and got kicked out, but him and Ryan Sims, a couple of folks had agents where had roots in the area that I lived in at the time and just sort of studied those guys. I, uh, I don't know if I've, told the story here i i made a website or i, I got the domain um webdesigntuts.com back in the heyday of psdtuts.com that was smart and uh they had what are all the other tuts like photo tuts like they had anyways before Everything. they before they switched to the tuts, tuts plus and like they still had the full url anyways so i i, I nabbed web design tuts made it into a blog, started getting traffic. And one of the first posts I wrote was how to recreate the psdtuts.com website in Photoshop. So I recreated it pixel for pixel and like walked people through the decisions and just like how to do like blend modes and things like that. I think I might've read that blog post. No fucking way because, well, maybe it got, they, they promptly sent me an email and said, Hey man, uh, please don't do that. Could you be like 5% <laughs> more chill? Could you be more chill, please? Don't give away our intellectual property for free, please. Well, it wasn't, I mean, it's like anything, like just recreating what's already been built. But yeah. 
the point being like that process for me was so helpful because what you are forced to do is measure things, consider type sizes, consider line heights, consider colors and borders in a way that you might not, it might not be top of mind if you're just starting from scratch and you're relatively green, right? Yeah. It gives you a much more intimate understanding of whatever it is you're trying to do. My problem was I published that yeah instead of keeping it to that's myself. the caveat if you yeah. copy somebody just keep it to yourself <laughs> and i have i've learned my lesson i think that's something that people do a lot on dribble and stuff too right like they make the mistake of just releasing something that's yeah. obviously you like you can see the source material right yeah um yeah. oftentimes it's also on dribble i i think i subscribe to the idea that the best response to that is a friendly response please like Looking back at the fact that I did that and I was just an ignorant high schooler, yeah, like not knowing what the fuck I was doing and I didn't really understand but you, this concept of like creative ownership or uh, f- like, well, you know. I think there's, some, tough, man. I think there's something stuff. interesting there. Like I think you were probably not in the wrong necessarily. Like it was like not the chillest of things. Yeah. But the fact that you were like, this is the PSD Touch website, like. This is their design. Yeah, yeah. This is how you recreate it. Whereas a lot of people are just like, here's this thing I did as practice and like yeah. no credit. Like, yeah. You, the, you got away intent. The, yeah. yeah. The thing that stuck out to me is just remembering if I see stuff like that and see people's reactions to, you know, quote unquote copying is there's very likely someone on the other side of that that just has no idea what the fuck they're doing and they're just trying to learn. Yeah, totally. And they need to be taught a, like not taught a lesson in a sinister way, but like explained in a nice like encouraging way like hey it's cool you're doing this kind of thing they need to be lessened real hard <laughs> i've never seen that for me i haven't had a ton of work ripped off before yeah and what does that say <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah what <laughs> says i may not do totally, a lot of work that's totally worth being ripped off i've had a couple identities ripped off uh-huh. um wait like identity theft no 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 like <laughs> <laughs> my credit card stolen <laughs> thankfully not no but like logos and stuff yeah, that, and yeah. it's it's so hard to what like. What do you do? I just let it slide. Honestly, it's not, in my opinion, it's not worth the hassle. I mean, I had a, I had a shirt up on Cotton Bureau that got ripped off. I mean, blatantly, you know. Wait, the one just now? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It it was up on Society Six. Um, oh yeah, of I course. I mean, that's, that sort of stuff. Immediately. And not to throw them under the bus, they're but, nefarious for that. Yeah, that they do bullshit. not do a good job of policing, and oh, they don't care. Well, and that's basically, I mean, I contacted them and their legal team's like, yeah, you have to do like this six step process and send us a letter. And then God, that's such horseshit. We need a DNA sample proving that you made this. Yeah. yeah. And I was just like, forget it. Like if this guy wants to steal my shirt, that's fine. You know? And that, that's one of those things where it's like, you kind of just have to weigh whether or not it's worth it. And to me, it just wasn't And it does sort of, I mean, it makes you mad a little bit, but same time, it's like, it also validates your idea. I mean, but it's also, you made it for a good cause. Well, the, right? you're talking about the shirt? Yeah, yeah, the shirt. Yeah. Uh, for people that don't know, can we get a yeah, let's, primer? That's yeah, how it's going. So, we're um, going to jump, we're going to pause pause your, your story and come to the present real quick. Time warp. All right, great. So a couple weeks ago, we got a new president. And, um, Hang on, what? We allowed to talk about this? Shit, what? <laughs> Does he listen yeah. to this podcast, you think? We do have two D's in this. And okay. he's, he's into easy D's. Yeah, I know. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'll look for the for the tweet. Anyway. Uh, It'll come at 3 a.m. So obviously there's there's some contention around some photos that came about from the inauguration and some 
government agencies got censored or whatever. The and, National Park Service being one. Yeah, National Park Service being one of those. And I just kind of not happy about that. I mean, that whole week, I think, for majority of the country was just sort of like like a like a, a existential crisis on like a like a national level. I mean, that whole week, this whole week, basically, <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, it's just it's just one big long blur. So, I was really frustrated, and I needed an outlet. And uh, I saw all these Twitter accounts popping up from all these rogue National Park Service people, mm-hmm. and I was like, "Yes, this is freaking amazing." And originally, it was a lot of the park rangers doing it. It wasn't like the activists now, like the you know the not the citizens. It was actually the people in the agencies. And it was it was like some of the best Twitter content I'd ever come across. Like the level of snark was perfect. It was like <laughs> I mean, it's like I mean, snarky. Parks. Get these guys out of the park system and get them on somebody's social media team because like this stuff is gonna fly. So, uh, so one of the guys talked about rogue rangers, and I was like, oh dude. So I had this idea. And it was um, a certain uh, animal. You ripped off Smokey the Bear. Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. He's protected by the national forests. They actually the own original, Smokey. Do you think the original Smokey the Bear designer saw your shirt and was like, this motherfucker. This motherfucker. He and, he reached, not, and he, he reached made, out to Cotton Bureau and Cotton Bureau's legal team said, they, well, you have to fill out the six-step process. Here's the this thing. asshole ripped me off and put me on Society <laughs> so 6. So I, I, I did this design on like Tuesday. So like the inauguration was on Friday. I did it like Tuesday. I tweeted it out. Jay Finelli's like t-shirt. And I'm like, yeah, I'm working on it. We launched it that following Friday. And basically it's Smokey the Bear. He's angry looking. And instead of his hat saying. It's Smokey's brother Foggy the Bear. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah, it's a it's an angry version of a bear. Steamy the Bear. That says. Oh, steamy because angry. Yes. That says great. resist. Yes. Says resist on it. Um, and I'm thinking. And I was like, I'm going to, you know our current administration is going to shut down the park system. And basically that, you know, a lot of our congressmen are trying to screw the, the federal lands. And I was like, no, that's not cool. I, I grew up in Arizona. I love the outdoors. I love national forests. I believe in that sort of stuff. So I threw the shirt up and I said, I'm going to split the profits between originally it was just going to go to the national parks. Everybody's like, but Smokey's the forest service. I was like, fine. I'll split it between national parks, the national forest. Everybody happy now. I was thinking I'd sell like 50, hundred shirts. I was blown away yeah. by how well it did. I, I mean, thing. I bought a few, but yeah, yeah, I bought a couple as well. By the end of day one, it was like 2000 shirts, something like that. It was nuts within a, within the span of a weekend, we'd hit 5,000. And like, I mean, I like, I was like, I would just sort of like kind of break out giggling every once in a while. Just like, <laughs> I could not believe yeah. what had happened. As of this recording, it's 10,000. Almost. We're like 8,500 and it's going to wrap up the the day after we record this. Okay. Um, but there's, there's some other caveats within that. I was able to kind of get a halo effect off rogue NASA. They mm-hmm. did a shirt as well and they way outpaced me, but basically everybody bought a rogue NASA shirt, bought one of mine, mm-hmm. you know? And so it just kind of turned into this crazy overnight success. And it, I mean, it blew up on Twitter too, which yeah. was really cool. Um, I had some folks from a, a, a nonprofit associated with a government agency actually reach out to me and like, we love it. And I was like, can you endorse it? And they're like, we cannot a <laughs> surprise uh, because you know, we kind of are, in, you know, we kind of depend yeah, on yeah. some of these things. I was like, cool. They're like, but we've bought a shirt for everybody in the, co- in the, in the organization. <laughs> That's like, awesome. Thank you. So at the end of this, I'm going to write two fat checks to the national parks and the national forest foundations. And I'm going to add philanthropists to my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm going to endorse you. I would, I would very much love that. Endorse you for philanthropist. So, it, yeah. <laughs> Philanthropying. 
I'm a philanthropist. <laughs> that sounds right. I'm a, de- I'm a defender of federal lands. Philanthropist. <laughs> That's exactly what I was. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool. Um, Thank you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Brian gets a pun. Boom. Brian gets a pun. <laughs> so got to work some more of those in. That's what happened. It was, it was really cool. Um, I've never really had like an overnight kind of like yeah. um, viral. viral success. Yeah. It really truly was viral. Did it like, change your life? Are you a new man? I'm, I'm, po- I'm poking fun. But I'm over it at this point, yeah, yeah. to be honest with you. Hmm. Uh, and actually there was, so like I had it like uh, maybe the second night after it went live, I realized, oh no, Smokey the Bear is actually the property of the National Forest and the Ad, and the ad Council. Like it's a copyrighted yeah. protected thing and you can't use it without their permission. And so I started Googling how much am I going to get sued for? Yes. Well, there's there's parody rights, I think, which... So there's actually been two lawsuits that the National Forest Foundation has put against people who've used Smokey in this in this term. Well, this is steamy. Steamy the bear. <laughs> it's out, guys. I ripped off Smokey. I can't, I can't hide that anymore. This um, is... Well, it's it's really a different shade. So Jay Finelli actually Googled this too because I think he was freaking out as well. We were yeah, both I just sort ima- of like... I imagine Jay would be the one freaking out. We were both just like... Uh, what the crap did we just do, right? And so we Google this, and there there have been lawsuits. And the premise that it was this: one of them, I, I don't know if one went to the Supreme Supreme Court, but they went fairly high in, in the court system. Political speech is protected under First Amendment rights, and so there is obviously parity. You can get around copyrights with parity, and political speech is a part of that. Okay. So there was one back in the day where some folks were upset about some logging that was going on in the National Forest. They did Smokey with the chainsaw, and that's not a sanctioned use of Smokey. And that was back in like the 60s, maybe. There was one more recent um, in the 90s of a guy up in the Northeast who basically used Smokey to like make a political statement about um, weed, about fracking. Oh, damn. Not Shit. weed. <laughs> I'm sure that exists. Yeah. No. Um, and both of those were, they basically lost both of them saying it's covered in political speech. It's first amendment. They can't do anything. So that helped me sleep a little bit better at night. Um, I'm sure I still could get a cease and desist. Uh, Just run away and hide in Arizona. No one will find you. I could hide in a forest. There's several national forests there. Yes. But I mean, we'll see what happens. Um, I kind of think it would be a PR nightmare because essentially I'm, I'm going to be donating tens of thousands of dollars to their nonprofits at this point. So which is kind of just a surreal thing. To That's think pretty about. amazing. Yeah. It's, it's incredibly amazing. I don't know the total number. I don't know if I should even say this on air. It's okay. Over $50,000. Damn. It's nuts. And the That's rogue NASA wants over a hundred thousand for what they're donating, Holy which shit. about those two. Yeah. And there was some, uh, Planned Parenthood ones. Oh yeah. And there's some, ton- like- and that was, and that was what was so cool and so encouraging, um, in response to this, there's, you know, and I know some people didn't like this. They kind of felt like it was maybe taking advantage of the circumstances. And I mean, it's for but the circumstances existed, right? Like, yeah, it is. They did exist. And honestly, I didn't do this to try to sell a shirt. Like I did it as an outlet and some people said, slap it on a shirt. So I did. And you know, we've, and a lot of other people like that. And you know, I know it made a lot of people laugh and happy. And you know, I brought a little bit of joy into a dark circumstance in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, I think, expose an emotion that people were feeling in a tangible way. And you put a sweatshirt on my body. Put a sweatshirt on Bryn. Soon. So, yeah, Soon. It'll, it'll probably come Eventually. in March. I'm saving rooms for it. 
I felt bad Prince's for Cotton Beer, though. Prince's not even wearing a shirt right now. He's that eager. I mean, they've probably got like over 30,000 shirts that they have to process. My chest just says, resist goes here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. He tattooed it. <laughs> there was that some... was a huge mistake, Bryn. <laughs> it's committed, man. Committed. committed to the resistance. So, yeah. Anyway, that's the story of the, of the, uh, the alt bear. You're basically Rogue One. I mean. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Not to get to, not to get to your head, but you are a little bit like Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the sense of the first step towards defeating the Empire. Yes, yes, is clothing them with the appropriate attire. Hmm. <laughs> so we got to look cool while we do it. Yeah. Look, if we're going to protest, we might as well do it while if, being fashionable. If the Empire had angry tweets instead of force lightning. Ah. It's really a difference here. And our final clip for this first uh, roundup episode comes from episode 220 with Melody Quintana. Uh, and we talked about her decision to go back to school. So in her story at this point in time, she had uh, graduated. She'd gotten a job at Facebook. She was doing content strategy at Facebook at this huge company doing well. Uh, but she decided to, to stop everything, give it up, go to SVA in New York and learn product design properly. And I thought that was a really big decision uh, so we dig into why she made it how it worked out it's gotta be a hard decision and it's pretty <laughs> admirable to like decision, make yeah. that decision and stick to your guns yeah so here's that that moment with melody from episode 220 so i felt a little bit like i wanted to expand my scope before i, I don't know before i just like settled into this like role forever um and then i decided to leave facebook and go to graduate school hmm. um and so, yeah, I, I decided to go to graduate school for interaction design to sort of expand uh, my tool set. And and uh, that was really fun. So I went back to New York um, to SVA uh, for um, their master's in inter- interaction design for two years um, and then came back to California. So I'm like bi-coastal. So uh, the decision to go back to school, uh, was that weighted against like just going and applying it? companies for a product design role or trying to transition within Facebook? Yeah. Um, I thought about that and I talked to a couple different people about it and I think it was a mix of things. I don't, I don't necessarily think that if you decide you want to be a designer, you have to go to graduate school for it. Um, that's definitely not the case. Uh, I just, I think I happened to, it was kind of like a perfect storm for me of like, oh, I've been at this company for five years. I, I, I think I wanted like a break from like the bubble and like just to like have a different perspective shift. I was in a position that, you know, I was lucky enough where I like I could go to grad school. Um, it just like ended up working out with like Facebook going public. I don't know. I just like yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, sure, I can take a break for a little bit. Um, and uh, and yeah, and I, it, I'm, I'm really into I don't know. I'm really into school. I, I've always loved school. <laughs> so I just like. I yeah. wanted like I wanted to give myself that um that freedom to explore for two years and tinker and like really get into it and yeah and and I'm lucky that I was able to do that. And you know, I I also like it it was really easy to idealize at the time. I think like, you know, you have something in your head and you have mm-hmm. a dream and it's like, "Oh my <laughs> gosh, I'm going to go to school. It's going to be awesome." And then like you go and, you know, the reality hits of like, "Whoa, this is really humbling because I'm a beginner again." Like and now I'm just nudging things one pixel over know, and over. Like <laughs> exactly. I used to write things for Facebook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, I, I recently read that book, The Beginner's Mind. And like, I think that it uh, really- I haven't heard of that one. Oh, it's it's a wonderful, it's um, it's like the the guy who started the San Francisco Zen Society, uh, Shunryu Suzuki. Okay. Um, it's like his, I don't know, it's, it's a great like little slim volume of philosophy that's really short but dense and powerful. And um, the whole, like, I think the famous quote from it is that like, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, but in the expert's mind, there are few. And that's Shunryu Suzuki. Um, and it's a great quote. I feel like it Experts is. Experts sound like jerks. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I don't know. I feel like as a designer, it's it's especially pertinent um, because we're, we're craftspeople and we really love to develop expertise in what we do. And like, it's, it's a really like, you know, it's, it's, it's a pride point for us. Um, and so I, yeah, I, I always try to keep that in the back of my mind just because, um, I mean, not just because I like changed careers and I, I was there, but like in the long term, I just, I love the, the idea of like always kind of keeping that fresh approach to, uh, to your work. What are you in the beginner's mindset about today? What am I in the beginner's mindset about today? Um, probably, I mean, probably just my my newest life challenge of like being a mom and trying to So many possibilities. Yeah, there's <laughs> there are a lot of possibilities there trying to I don't know, trying to figure all all of it out. Sure. Um, yeah. Okay. So, you ended up at SVA. Uh a lot of people ask, is design school worth it? What's your take on at least your well, experience where you, you already went? said with a caveat, you like school. Yeah, <laughs> I like school. Big caveat. I like school. I like being a beginner. I love like the idea of just absorbing. But everyone learns differently, um, and everyone has different. Re- I don't know. Everyone d- has different levels of access to different resources, and there are so many different ways to learn now through like online or what have you. Just YouTube apprenticeships, YouTube, right? Um, so I think that, uh, like I, it worked for me. Like I, I loved, you know, I don't regret going to grad school. It was was a wonderful time. Um, but, but I don't think it's like a necessary thing for people who want to be designers. I think there are different ways of going about it. Yeah. Um, So I think one common complaint is maybe, uh, it doesn't feel as up to date as like what's happening in, Mm. in the real world, but you went and studied interaction design, which feels like at least in my mind, sounds like a modern, like pretty well up to date yeah. thinking. I, I don't know, maybe I'm naive in that, but what was your experience? Was it like interaction design? What all do you study and learn about that? Yeah, the program was great. It was very well curated by uh, Liz Danzico, who who runs it. She's, oh shit, I know who that is. She's Bobulate. She's like, yeah, she she and she's the creative director at uh, NPR and. Um, she knows what she's doing. And there are a lot of wonderful teachers, uh, instructors at the program who are all practicing professionals. And so what I appreciated most about it is it's super practical and grounded in like real life stuff. So, um, so yeah, it felt very relevant. Uh, and it was very like, it, I mean, the range of skills and in interaction design is pretty broad. It runs the gamut from like user research methods all the way down to, really minute prototyping skills and um you know you go 
like the one of the awesome things about it is you go to school with people from all different backgrounds. So like me, the literature major, and someone else who's like super, you know, uh, technical and has built apps before, and someone else who like ha- went to RISD and just like knows a ton about like visual and graphic design. So you learn like almost as much from your peers as you do from, uh, you know, the instructors and the classes. That's episode 230, uh, composed of, I guess, like 50 other episodes or something. I don't know. Thank you to all of our guests from this year. It was seriously awesome going back through all these episodes. I laughed so much. Like, I can't believe how much stuff we put out that, like, I hadn't listened to. Honestly, like I, I was I in the conversation because I was ignoring them during the conversation. Well, I listened during the conversation, obviously, but like you forget so yeah, much yeah, of it yeah. when you do it over and over. I agree. Yeah, I had the same thing. I was like, oh, shit, we talked about a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, of course, you can hit us up anytime. We're on uh, spectrum.chat slash specfm is our community. Uh, we got a design details channel in there, along with channels for all the other podcasts. If you need more stuff to listen to as we roll into 2018. We'd love to hear what you thought of all these episodes. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. Like, thank you to everyone who listened this year. That means a lot. Yep. We're going to have a few more recap episodes coming up. uh, So we'll catch you next week with uh, another recap number two of the batch clips. See you next week. Bedrock Candy Mountain. The girls are made of tin. So you can walk right out again. As soon as, soon as, as you, you walk in. in.